Welcome to the March 29th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's Bible reading is Judges chapter 7 and 8 and Luke chapter 5. Once again, that's Judges 7 and 8 and Luke chapter 5. Uh, You know how this works. If you have not read those chapters yet, please hit pause, go back, read God's Word for yourself, and listen to what He would say to you, and then come back and consider listening to what I've got to say. But if you've already read those chapters, then let's get started. In Judges chapter 7, we come to an incredible battle that um, Gideon led the Israelites in. Uh, I can only imagine that uh, when God told him to to rally an army, uh, Gideon, knowing that the Midianites were so powerful and had oppressed the Israelites for so long, it's almost as if he was looking at Jericho's massive walls again, thinking, how in the world can we defeat them? And so at God's beckoning, at God's command, Gideon, I assume, would have given a rousing speech to get as many people as possible to rally around him. And then God knew God knew. He knew ahead of time. Whenever we say God knew, we're never we're never assuming, never saying that God came to a conclusion. God knows all things completely at all times. But we're speaking in our language. So whenever this happened, God knew, God realized that the people of Israel, if when they won the victory, they would claim it for themselves. And so he said, Okay, you know what? Let's uh let's kind of shed some of the the guys in the military. And in verse 3, it says, Now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of the army left. God, through Gideon, said, if any of y'all are scared, you don't have to come. And by the way, that was a good thing because fear and courage are both contagious. Um, if you want some, if you want a people to be courageous in a moment where they would be tempted to be fearful, all it takes sometimes is one person to be courageous and it's contagious, but it works the other way as well. Sometimes whenever you're in a, in a, a time where it could be fearful and someone is afraid and they're, uh, you know, talking and communicating, that that fear can spread. And so God told Gideon, I want you to tell him, if you're scared of going into battle, you don't have to go. Go on back home. And it says two-thirds of them left. They left left 10,000 men in the military. And then God said, you know what? This is still too many. Um, If when y'all get this victory, you're going to claim the victory for yourself. I'm not going to get the glory. And after all, I'm the one who's going to win this battle for you. So he told Gideon, take them down to the river and let's just tell every single one of them to have a drink. Uh, Now, Gideon, God essentially said, between you and me, um, I want you to separate those that kneel I mean they fall down like it were as it were on their stomach and they're lapping out of the the river like a dog 
and who drinks water like that? But he said, I want you to separate those from those that go down to a knee and maybe cup their hand in the water and bring that water up. You know, you would think that you would want those guys because if you're laying on your belly and an enemy comes in, you are not prepared to get up and fight them. But if you're down on a knee, well, you're that close to being up on your feet and able to fight. And so it would have seemed as if God would have wanted all of those that knelt down on the knee, but God said, nope, I want you to get all those that lap like a dog. Have all of those that are laying on their belly. In other words, get those guys that know nothing of warfare. Get those guys that know nothing of strategy and know nothing of being prepared for an unexpected attack by an enemy. Get those that are laying on their belly, drinking out of the river like a dog. And God said, I want you to pick those guys. And there were 300 of them. And so not only were there only 300, but there were 300 guys who had no clue what it was like to fight in an army. Well, what uh, what goes on is now Gideon is nervous. He was already nervous, I assume, but now he's even more nervous. And God says, you know what? If you're nervous, I want you to go down. I want you to sneak down into the Midianite camp and listen to them. And uh, you'll find the courage to lead these 300 guys in battle. And so sure enough, hey, the Lord allowed for it. So why not? And so he went down and he overheard a guy talking about, hey, I had a dream last night. And he spoke about the dream, and, and one of the other guys said, well, your dream means nothing other than that the, the God of, of Gideon has claim, is, uh, is going to be victorious over us. And so when Gideon heard that, he went back and said, hey, guys, 300 guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to defeat these uh, Midianites. And so he said, I want you to have a ram's horn, all three of you. I want you to have a ram's horn in one hand. And then I want you to have a torch that's covered with a, uh, a vase or covered at, you know, with um, a pitcher, a clay pitcher. I want you to have it covered so that that torch is lit, but it's covered so you really can't see the light. Um, and so he said, what we're going to do is we're going to split up into groups and we're going to kind of surround this uh, big Midianite camp. And, uh, you know, whenever you hear me uh, make the noise, whenever you hear me um, go from being quiet to whatever it is that I do, then you mimic it. And so what he did is around 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock midnight, sometime around 10 in the evening until midnight, some, sometime in that time frame, um, Gideon yelled out, he blew the ram's horn, he cracked his pitcher so that now the torch, the light is just lighting up the night, uh, the night darkness. And uh, he says, uh, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And so all of these 300 guys do it. Well, the Midianites have no clue how many are out there. For all they know, these 300, and, and you know, the, all they know is they're just looking around the camp and all of a sudden they're seeing lots of light and they're hearing all of this noise, the ram's horns blowing. For all they know, they've got tens of thousands of Israelites out there ready to attack them and they're not ready. They were settling down for the night. Many of them are asleep. And so it says that they were thrown into confusion. Well, then we realize at the end of the chapter that the the tribe of Ephraim 
was uh, they went to the Jordan River and they went to the areas where it would have been most easy to to cross the river and they set up camp there and they waited for the Midianites to, to race there. And when they got there, the Ephraimites took care of them. And in fact, they killed two of the princes of Midian. And so in this battle, God led 300 unlikely men um, to defeat a powerful Midianite army. This is just one of the things that we see is God delights to use churches or people or work through circumstances that nobody would have thought something big and wonderful would have happened. Because this, of all of the people that God would have used, look who God chose. Or of all of the churches where revival could break out, God chose this small church in, in Podunkville. Well, this is what God delights to do. I mean, even Paul, as he wrote, was it 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise are chosen. Well, why is that? Because God wants the glory. He is God after all. And so that's what we see. That's the principle that I see playing out in Judges 7 is God said, I'm going to give you the victory, but I want the glory. And so I'm going to create a scenario where there's only 300 of your men in your army and uh, they're, they're the ones who are not prepared for battle. And when you win this battle, you will know that it was me. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, those of you that are listening, if you suspect that you have nothing to give to the Lord or very little and that maybe you think that God has other people that he could use, that he could do so much more through, I'm telling you that that very attitude, that very mindset, probably means that you are on God's radar. And uh, maybe it just is going to take you coming to a place of yieldedness and giving your heart completely to the Lord, surrendering to Him, and then letting Him do what He wants to do. Because God delights to use people who will say, it was the Lord. I know that I didn't have that in me. I know that that wasn't me. I know it was the Lord. He delights to use people and churches that will give him the glory. In Judges 8, we come to the first three verses that are very, very insightful. Um... In verse 1, it says, The men of Ephraim said to him, So they were there at the river, the Jordan River, and they uh, killed many of, of the Midianites that were racing to the part of the river that they thought they would cross, but then they found the Ephraimites there who beat them in battle. But then after the battle was over with, the men of Ephraim said to him, to Gideon, they said, why have you done this to us, not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites? And they argued with him violently. <laughs> so what's going on here? Um, we may think, we may tend to think that the Ephraimites had good hearts. And they were thinking, Gideon, 300 men? What were you thinking? We could have been here. We could have helped you. We're a team here. We, we would like to think that that's what was in their heart. I don't think that's what was in their heart. I think that they saw the end result of a big victory, uh, of, 
300 men putting the whole Midianite army into a retreat, a panicked, chaotic retreat. And they were thinking, how cool would it have been to be a part of that? And then, so they come to Gideon, why didn't you tell us about, they wanted to be a part of it. And so when we listen to what Gideon said, we understand that Gideon knew that their hearts were not right. Listen to his response in verses two and three as he appeals to their ego. They had sinful hearts. Their reason for wanting to participate in this battle is the very reason God said, nope, I only want three and I only want uh, I only want 300 and I only want the 300 that don't know enough about battle that they actually lay down on the riverbank and lap out of the river like a dog. Um, the Ephraimites were not told, God did not tell them because they would have robbed God of glory. And you know what God does when his glory is robbed? Yeah, he goes somewhere else. He goes somewhere else. It's not that he's weak. It's not that he's sinfully self-centered. He's not sinful at all. But I'm telling you, God is the only one in the universe who has the right to be self-centered. In fact, should be self-centered. There's nothing greater than God. If God were to value anything or anyone other than himself above himself, then God would be committing idolatry because there's nothing greater than him. And so... The Ephraimites were intentionally not invited to this battle. In verses 2 and 3, listen as Gideon appeals to their ego to answer them. They said, why didn't you invite us? So he said to them, what have I done now compared to you? <laughs> you know, y'all are incredible. Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God handed over to you, Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? And when he said this, their anger against him subsided. Why? Well, he was stroking their ego. They weren't interested in God's glory. They were only interested in themselves. Now, can I tell you a little secret? Um, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I'm telling you that church unfortunately, is very different, oftentimes very different behind the scenes than it is in front of the stage curtain, if you were to call it that. Uh, a lot of times uh, for the folks that show up to church, sit on the pew, they desire to worship, they desire to enjoy just an experience of worship as they join their voices in praise to the Lord, singing with others. They desire to enjoy uh, bowing their heads in prayer and lifting up their hearts in an orchestra of prayer that's going on there in that place. They desire to sit under the word that's taught, the word that's preached, and they desire to listen to what what the Lord would say to them. Maybe they come with needs or weaknesses or whatever else, and they just want to feel better, and they want to experience the Lord. And that's good. That's what church is supposed to be. But I'm telling you that Satan works overtime behind closed doors in the 20 years of pastoring that I've been in. It has been a very rare occasion. Actually, I'm in a situation right now where I don't have anyone, and I'm being completely honest, I don't have anyone right now 
um, that is out to get me. I don't have anyone that is uh, stabbing me in the back behind the scenes or anything like that. Right now, I'm in a time of peace and enjoying it at, at Polk City First. But I'm telling you, this is a very rare experience for me in my 20 years of ministry. There have constantly been men and women behind the scenes at all four churches that I've been at that have been like these Ephraimites. They have been jealous, not for God's glory, but they're jealous for their own glory. And because of that, they know how to work the crowd. They know how to, you know, appear wonderful in front of everybody else. But they're like Satan himself behind uh, the scenes. And um, they have the heart of the Ephraimites. They're not interested in God's glory. They're in it for themselves. It, it, they, they love power. They love pushing people around or maybe even the pastor around or any number of other things. I'm telling you, this happens all the time in ministry. If you were to just go to any pastor and say, pastor, behind the scenes, are there ever, don't ask him specifics because he's not going to give you anything, but are there ever times in, in a church when people try to push you around behind the scenes and, and sometimes they get really ugly, almost Certainly, he's going to get a smile on his face, and he's not going to give you any names, but he's going to say, oh, yeah, it happens more times than you may realize. There are Ephraimites in churches all across our land, and in fact, I believe that that is just one of the reasons why God is not free to bless in many of our churches, because it looks good on the outside, and there's many people that are able to worship, but oftentimes the behind the scenes is really ugly is really ugly. Once again, I do. I just, I'm free to say that because honestly, right now, uh, for the first time in quite a few years, uh, I don't have, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody right now. Eventually there'll be somebody. Uh, but right now, uh, we're doing well. And I believe that everybody and many of you that are listening, don't go to first Baptist Polk city. Um, but, uh, But I believe that the people there at the church would say that there is nobody that they know of. I would like to think that they believe there's nobody that they know of that is trying to rob God of the glory by touching things and saying, hey, I did that or we did that. I believe that the people there would say, yes, well, the, the leadership and, and everyone is leading us to, to give God the glory. That, that's what I see throughout Scripture. Um, bad things happen when people try to touch God's glory. Um, w- just very briefly, to, I kind of went off on a little bit of a, a, a tangent there, a little rabbit trail. But yeah, I think it's worth saying because that's the thing that came up in my mind and heart whenever I was reading but uh, so let's just quickly go through the rest of uh, the this uh, chapter judges chapter 8 judges chapter 8 in verses 4 through 21 after Ephraim says hey why didn't you invite us and uh, you know then Gideon kind of strokes their ego cuz he knows they're really only interested in their own glory well in verses 4 through 21 we're told uh, that uh, Gideon and the 300 men took off and they went to the Jordan and they crossed it and they were exhausted and they were still in pursuit and they were continuing to go after the Midianites you know who didn't go with them the Ephraimites <laughs> this is another principle I'm not going to spend as long on here. I want this to be brief. But many of those people that are in it for themselves that would complain of an opportunity that they might have had to be a part of something to make them feel good about themselves or give them leverage in the church or whatever, 
whenever you legitimately have a, the next need, they're still probably not going to show up anyway. So don't listen to those people. See them for who they are. Uh, it's it's pretty sad as this chapter ends in verses 22 through 35 that Gideon, who had led them in such a wonderful victory, and in fact, they came to him and said, hey, Gideon, you rule over us, or if not you, have your son rule over us. And Gideon said, no, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Oh, it would be so wonderful if the chapter ended there, but it doesn't. A few verses later, he asked them for their earrings, and he gave and and he used those earrings. He melted them down, and he gave them an ephod. This was a garment for worship, uh, for determining the the will of the Lord. At least that's what it tended to to be used for in the Old Testament. But he made them a pagan ephod, and all of Israel worshipped it. This is so crazy. Gideon, you said for them to worship the Lord, and then you create something that they bow down to worship. You said one thing with your mouth, and you did another thing with your actions. This this is not just Gideon. This is us too. We have got to be so careful that our words are good and holy and pure, and that our actions align with it. It's quite possible for us to say things where we are telling people, encouraging people to love the Lord and enjoy the Lord and obey Him and serve Him, but yet maybe in our actions we're creating a stumbling block. Don't be like Gideon in that aspect. Don't be like Gideon. All right, in Luke 5, we come to some... Uh, stories, some accounts that we've already read in Matthew and in Mark, and so I'll just touch on these. Um, But uh, verses 1 through 11, he calls his disciples. um, One other thing, in verse 1, it it, uh, talks of Lake Gennesaret. Lake Gennesaret, and maybe you were reading that and thinking, what, what, where's that? I've never heard of that. I've heard of the Dead Sea. I've heard of the Sea of Galilee, but I've never heard of the Lake Gennesaret. Well, the thing is, is the Sea of Galilee actually had at least three names that it's called in Scripture. One, it's called, obviously, the Sea of Galilee, right? The other, it is it is at least once called Lake Gennesaret, and that's Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 1, the verse that we're looking at. But it's also in John chapter 6, verse 1, called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, Tiberias is a city that's right on the, I think it's the far western side of the, the sea, and so it's called the Sea of Tiberias. And so anyway, I just want you to know that this it's the Sea of Galilee, but also it is sometimes called Lake Gennesaret. Sometimes it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. It's the same place. It's the same place. It's at the top of the Jordan River. Actually, the Jordan goes a little bit north of it, but it's generally at the top what feeds down to the Dead Sea. Um, but he called the disciples. Also, I want you to realize that this, uh, when Jesus called the disciples, when he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, uh, this is probably the third time that he's actually uh, spent time with them. The first time uh, is Andrew went and got his brother Peter or Simon and said, "Hey, come and see this. Uh, come and see this Jesus. Come and see." Um, and so this is, I think, maybe the third time. So anyway, whenever you see different accounts 
a, few, a couple of different accounts of Jesus calling Peter, uh, calling James and John, it's because one time he called them as disciples, and then another time he called them as an apostle. Um, but there were also a, a couple of times on the front end where he's just kind of bumping into them and inviting them to follow him. Um, verses 12 through 16, we've talked about this before, um, this this whole thing with uh, a man that had leprosy. Um, a couple of things I want to bring out in this. I mean, this is just, this is incredible. Today, I did two hospital visits. Today, I did two hospital visits. I went and visited a lady who uh, had, um, she's got diabetes and had a toe that was cut off. Um, and so I was, I prayed with her about that for healing. And I, and I held her hand as I prayed with her. I touched her hand. I held her hand. That, this, is, this is the point I'm making. I held her hand. Then I went and I visited with, uh, with an elderly, with an older man and uh, someone who has just been through so much physical stuff in his life, but looks like he's bouncing back from this as well. But, uh, but I, I reached out and as I prayed over him, I held his hand. There's just something about touch. You know, I mean, whenever I go in and during COVID, I had the mask, I still have the mask on, but when you've got the mask on and you're not even touching the people, and in fact, you're standing away, it just feels impersonal. It feels cold, but there's something special about touch, especially with someone that you love or somebody that you at least like or at least tolerate, right? You don't want to be touched by somebody you don't like. But if it's a pastor, ideally somebody that you like, then for me to reach my hand out and just hold their hand while I'm praying with them, I got to think that meant something to them. People love to be touched. In Luke chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it talks about um, a, a leper that had cried out to Jesus asking for healing. And in se it says in verse 13, reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. All of a sudden, Jesus rendered himself unclean because he touched a leper, and yet he didn't care because his uh, ceremonial status uh, did not matter. What mattered was this person. This person had leprosy. They had probably not been touched maybe for months, maybe years they've not been touched. And Jesus said, you know what? Not only do you need to be healed, but I want to be the first one that just reaches out and touches you and lets you know that people, that I care about you and that there are people that care about you. And so it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. This is one of the things I would just encourage you to, to do. Um, realize that when you are speaking to someone, especially somebody who's struggling, physical, emotional, relational, whatever else, then realize the power of the human touch, that the human touch can be feeling. If you want to be like Jesus, in Luke 5, 13, it says he reached out and he touched them. So to be like Jesus doesn't just mean be holy. It means every now and then we reach out and touch people. Just let them know that we care. Um, always be very careful about where to touch, you know, where to touch. Uh, usually I'm touching on uh, the uh, the hand or maybe the shoulder, high on the shoulder, uh, or maybe a little bit more toward the back, but I'm very cautious and very careful about, uh, you know, where I touch, especially with, with ladies. But I want you to know that to be like Jesus, don't be afraid to touch. 
The other thing that I did point out previously when we looked at Matthew and Mark is that Jesus told this leper to go to the temple, to go to the priest and tell them to to perform for him the ceremonial cleansing that Moses prescribed in the law. And this was referring back to Leviticus 14. In the Old Testament, we only have two instances of people being healed from leprosy. One was Miriam, and the other was Naaman. Naaman wasn't even a Jew. And so Miriam probably did not go through this process. And so Leviticus 14 was a chapter in the Bible that talked about how it is that a priest was to inspect and then ceremonially declare a leper clean. But Leviticus 14 apparently had just collected dust in the Old Testament. It wasn't even used. And so now, all of a sudden, Jesus is healing lepers and continuing to tell these Jewish lepers, all right, go to the temple, tell the priest, do what you got to do to render me clean. They're going to have to open up Leviticus 14, dust it off. And in fact, they would have applied Leviticus 14 dozens of times, dozens of times, this would have gotten their attention that there is something going on. This was just one more evidence that Jesus would give the religious folks that the Messiah had shown up, but they would reject it. Um, Then verses 17 through 26, uh, we see that Jesus has the power to forgive and heal. Um, I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but he said, which is easier? to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, it sounds like it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no evidence whether it did or whether it was actually forgiven or not, right? It's just words. But if you say get up and walk, then that person either better get up and walk or your words were seen to be false and impotent. And so it would seem that to say you are forgiven is easier. But actually, it was just the opposite. The more difficult is to say your sins are forgiven because Jesus was going to go to the cross. But in the people's minds, they thought forgiveness was the easy thing. So he said, you know what? I'm going to do the hard thing that you, that you see as the hard thing. I'm going to tell this man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And when you see me do the hard thing, you're going to know that I'm able to do the other the forgiveness of sins. But actually, their view was distorted. The forgiveness of sins was actually the harder thing to do. In verses 27 through 32, we see that Jesus calls Levi, which is Matthew, and Jesus loved to be with sinners, not because he affirmed sin. It's because sinful people were just so close to realizing, maybe even many of them did realize, that they were constantly going down a dead-end road with their sin. They knew that it wasn't satisfying the longing of their heart. And so Jesus knew that they were just a step away from embracing the good news of the kingdom. That's why he loved hanging out with sinners, so that he could share the gospel with them. The religious, pious religious folks that didn't think they were a sinner, they why would they embrace the message of the kingdom? Why would they embrace a message of repentance? They wouldn't do it because they didn't think that they were guilty. And so Jesus loved to hang around people that knew they needed the gospel. How should that inform who we hang out with? And of course, you know, if if we spend time with uh, people that especially are in some of the hot-button sin issues in our culture right now, if we're to do that, 
you guarantee you there's going to be church folks that are talking, but who cares? They talked about Jesus too. Our desire is to see people come to faith in Christ. And people that think they're righteous are not interested. They think they're good. They're not interested. It's the people that know that they are going down dead end roads. They know their sin is something that gives them that temporary happiness, but it's not fulfilling that inner longing. That's the people that are so close to the kingdom. They just need the message. They need God's Holy Spirit to bring conviction and give them the faith to trust in Jesus. And then one last thing, uh, verses 33 through 39, we see the question about fasting. Jesus said, you know what? You're, you, you are asking why my disciples are not fasting. He said, the groom is with them. We're having fun. We're having a good time uh, right now. They're happy. They're joyful. Now, it wasn't that way all the time, but I... I as I listened to Jesus' words and how it was that they were not fasting because he was the groom and he was with them, to me, that's telling me, okay, with the seriousness of Jesus' mission and with the knowledge that he was headed to the cross, I also believe that there must have been great times of joy, lots of laughter around campfires at night and things like that. And uh, so this, I think, is just one of the many places in the Gospels that let us know that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He felt grief. He experienced the weight of people's sickness and their discouragement and everything else. He genuinely cared for people, and ultimately he would wear that on the cross but there were also wonderful times that he had, so much so that even little children loved coming to him. And so Jesus said, you know what, my disciples are not going to fast as long as I'm here, but they will fast whenever I leave, i.e. now. <laughs> you know, this is the time when we ought to be fasting, fasting for spiritual purposes. Uh, and basically what that means is we're denying ourselves, we're saying no to us so that we can, every time our, our stomach grumbles, you know, it, it kind of rumbles a little bit, it growls, that's just a reminder that we can say, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we're denying ourselves and saying yes to Jesus. I'm telling you, if you've never fasted, it is powerful. It's powerful. I've done it many times, and it is powerful. I just want to encourage you uh, to consider doing that because, after all, in the church age, we're kind of expected to do it. It is a good thing for us, though. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we think back to whenever you were expressing your frustration with people that were righteous and, and justifying why you were spending time with sinners, you wanted to be with sinners. Help us to realize, Lord, that when we're honest with our sin struggles, that that we can be humbled in your presence and ready to receive your grace and forgiveness and provision. That, that puts us in a very good place when we're honest with ourselves about our sin struggles. But Lord, when we, because of pride or maybe fear or insecurity, when we fail to recognize our sin struggles, then that actually distances us from you. You don't leave us, we leave you. So help us, Lord, to do the hard thing and get honest about our sinful tendencies and 
acknowledge the sin that we have in us and ask you to forgive us of that, but not just to confess it, but to repent, to turn from it, but never to be afraid to be honest in your presence because, Lord, we see in this text in Luke 5 that you love hanging out with people that know that they're sinners, that know that they have broken your law. You love hanging out with them because they are so close to receiving your grace and forgiveness. Lord, help us in our relationship with you to be real and as a result to experience your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy so that you can use us for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe that this is the 88th episode since January 1. Uh, you're doing a great job staying up with me on this journey, and uh, yet, you know, it's even though it's a, a, a little bit laborious uh, at times, uh, I'm just thinking of how much I've learned and how much I hope that you are learning uh, and how much that we are applying God's Word since we started this journey in January. So I just want to thank you for joining me on this adventure and encourage you to keep going. Once again, if you don't have time to listen to one of these podcasts on a given day, or if you look at it and think, wow, I don't have time. Matt went really long today, which is a quite a few days um, and you think I can't listen to that then don't feel bad about it then just skip over it and pick back up on the next one I just want this to be a resource I don't want this to be a burden to you but thank you for joining me on this I'm looking forward to spending time with you tomorrow we'll talk to you then bye bye <music>